Book four, chapters nineteen to twenty four of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobea. Translated by Robert Southey. Book four, chapter nineteen. How Gandalin arrived in Gaul and spake with King Perion, and of the answer which he had. Joyfully was Gandalin welcomed in Gaul, because of the good tidings which he brought of Amadis, of whom for a long time nothing had been known. Presently he took King Perion apart, and told all that he had been sent to say. Now, because this king was so brave that he feared no danger, how great soever, especially if it regarded this his son, who was like a shining mirror in the world, and whom he so dearly loved, he replied, Gandalin, what you desire shall speedily be done, and if you should see your lord before I see him, say to him that I should not have held him for a knight if he had suffered that wrong to go unredressed, for such enterprises are appointed for such hearts as his. I say unto you that if King Lisuarte will not be brought to reason, it shall be to his own loss. But take heed that you say nothing of this to my son Galaor, who is here so ill that we have often thought him more dead than alive, and even now he is in great danger, nor to his comrade Norandel, who is come hither to see him, for I will communicate it to him. Gandalin replied, I will bear it in mind, and glad am I that you have thus forewarned me. Go now to him, said the king, and tell him news of his brother. Gandalin then went to Galaor's chamber, whom he found so weak and sick that he wondered at seeing him, and he knelt down to kiss his hand. Then Galaor looked and knew that it was Gandalin, and the tears came into his eyes for joy. Welcome, friend Gandalin. What news bringst thou of my lord and brother Amadis? Sir, replied the squire, he remains well and in health in the firm island, and knows nothing of your malady. Neither did I till my lord the king told me thereof. I came hither by his command to inform the king and queen of his return, and greatly will he be troubled when he learns what plight you are in, whom he loves and esteems more than any other of his lineage. Norandel then came up and embraced him and asked for Amadis. Gandalin said to him the same as he had told Galaor, and he related some of the adventures which he had achieved in the islands of Romania and in those foreign parts thereabout. "'Sir,' quoth Norandel to Don Galaor, "'reason is it that at such news you should take heart "'and shake off your sickness, "'that we may go see this knight. "'As God shall help me, he is so excellent a knight "'that all they who have any worth in them "'ought to think little of the toil of the longest journey to see him.' "'While they were thus talking, the king came in, "'and taking Norandel by the hand after some talk, "'led him out of the chamber.' My good friend, then said he, it behoves you without delay to go to the king your father, for by what I learn he will stand in need of your help and of all his friends. But say nothing of this to your friend Galaor, for it would excite in him such agitation that much harm might come of it, seeing how weak he is. Norandel answered, The advice, sir, of so good a man as you ought to be followed without inquiry into its cause. I will take leave of Galaor to-night, and put to sea to-morrow, for my ship is ready. This the king did, that Norandel might fulfil his duty towards his father, and also that he might not see the preparations for war which were going on. 
that day were they more in hope of don galaor by reason of the joy he had for the tidings of his brother gandalin also said to the queen what amadis had bidden him and she replied that she would do all that he desired but gandalin my friend said she i am much troubled at this news for my son must now be in great care and hereafter in great danger of his person fear nothing lady gandalin made answer he will raise such force that neither king lisuarte nor the emperor of rome will dare attack him may it please god quoth she that it be so when night came norandel said to don galaor sir i must now depart for as your illness is so lingering and i can nothing profit you it is better that i should attend to other things you know it is not long since i have been a knight nor have i yet gained honour to be esteemed a man of worth by good men the news of your malady called me from a quest which i had undertaken when i left the king my father's house and i must now go where i am needed god knows this parting grieves me but if it please him while i am performing this from which i cannot be excused you will recover and then i will return to you and we will go together to seek adventures at this galaor sighed with exceeding sorrow since it must be so you must obey the will of god and if perchance you go to the court of my lord your father kiss his hand for me and tell him that i remain at his service though as you see more dead than alive norandel then took his leave and on the morrow sailed to great britain chapter twenty how lasindo the squire of don bruneo of bonamar went with the bidding of his master to the marquis and to branfil and of what he did with them lasindo the squire of don bruneo of bonamar arrived where the marquis sojourned and when he delivered his master's bidding to him and to branfil so grieved was branfil that he had not been with those knights at the rescue of oriana that he fain would have killed himself so he knelt down to his father and earnestly entreated him to do what his brother requested the marquis who was a good knight and who knew the great friendship which his sons bore to amadis and all his lineage and the honour which they had thereby gained made answer trouble not yourself my son for i will completely do what he desires and if need be will send you to him with such succour that yours shall not be the worst company there for this branfil kissed his hand and orders were then immediately given to prepare a fleet and forces for this marquis was a great lord and wealthy and had many good knights in his lordship and many soldiers all well equipped chapter twenty one how isanjo went with the bidding of amadis to the good king of bohemia and of the good success which he met with when isanjo the knight of the firm island arrived in the kingdom of bohemia and gave the letter of amadis to king tafinor there is no man can tell the pleasure which the king felt you are welcome here knight said he and i thank god for the message which you have brought me you shall see with what good will i receive it and whether or no the trouble of your journey was well employed then he called for his son grasandor and said to him sir read this letter which the knight of the green sword has sent me for you were witness of the service he did me and how he delivered me from the most cruel and perilous war in which ever king was engaged in which by reason of the great power and unreasonable pride of the roman emperor both you and i should have been undone and belike brought to death but for his succour 
and know that this knight is that Amadis of Gaul, of whom such renown is gone abroad through all the world. As soon as Grasandor had read the letter, and heard the bidding of Isanjo, he said, O oh, sir, what joy it is to my heart, that this noble knight should now stand in need of your help, and see the sense and the gratitude which you feel for his past services. I beseech you, let Count Galtines remain to lead the succour, and give me leave to go immediately with twenty knights to the firm island, for it will be greatly to my honour to be in company of such knights as are there assembled. Let it be so if you wish it, replied the king, and God sent you a good voyage, and that we with our whole kingdom may repay him the succour which he with his single person afforded us. So Prince Grasandor, the heir of King Tafanor of Bohemia, chose out twenty knights and put to sea, and sailed towards the firm island. Chapter 22 How London, the nephew of Don Quadragante, arrived in Ireland, and of the success he had with the Queen. London, the nephew of Don Quadragante, arrived in Ireland, and spake secretly with the Queen, as he had been enjoined to do. And when she heard of the great discord, albeit she knew that her father, King Abias of Ireland, had been slain by the hand of Amadis, as it is written in the first part of this history, and though she bore in her heart that enmity which in such cases is usual, yet she considered it was better to remedy present evils than resent the past. Therefore she spake with those whom she trusted, and so devised that great aid was made ready for her uncle Don Quadragante, without the knowledge of King Kildadan. Thus, as you have heard, were all these various forces raised, and ready when they should be needed having such good will and eagerness as they who would be conquerors. Chapter 23 How Don Guillon the Pensive went to Rome with the bidding of King Lisuarte, and of what he did in his embassy to the Emperor Patin. Such speed did Don Guillon the Pensive make, that in twenty days after his departure from Great Britain, he arrived at Rome. He found the Emperor Patin ready with a great train, and great preparations to receive Oriana, whom he every day expected, for his cousin Salestanquidio and Brondachel of the Rock had written to inform him they were dispatched, so that he had made ready for her reception, and marvelled much at their long delay. Don Guillon, armed as he was at all points, except his head and hands, entered the palace, and knelt before the emperor, and kissed his hand, and gave him the letter which he had brought. The emperor knew him well, having often seen him in the house of King Lisuarte, at what time he returned there badly wounded, with the stroke which Amadis had given him by night in the forest, as you have heard in the second book of this history. And he said to him, You are welcome, Don Guillan. I suppose you are come with your lady Oriana. Tell me where she and all my people tarry. Sir, replied the knight, she and your people are in a place neither befitting them nor you. Read this letter, and then I will tell you more than you expect to hear. When the emperor had read the letter, being impatient by nature, he exclaimed, Now tell me, before all these, what you have to say, for I can have patience no longer. But when Don Guillan had finished his speech, he exclaimed, O wretched emperor of Rome, if thou dost not chastise this, thou deservest not to live another hour in this world. And then he turned to the knight and said, Is it certain that Oriana is taken away, and my cousin slain? Certain beyond all doubt, 
replied Don Guillon. All has passed as I have told you. Go back again, knight, then said the emperor, and tell the king your master that I take upon myself this injury and the vengeance due, and that he need do nothing more than look on and behold what I will do, for if I wished to be allied with him, it was not to give him care or trouble, but to revenge him in any wrong that might be wrought him. Sir, said Don Guillan, you make answer like a mighty prince as you are, and a knight of great courage. Yet you will have to do with such men that all King Lisuarte's force will be needed as well as yours. The king my master hath ever till now taken full satisfaction from those who have wronged him, and so he will continue to do. Since you have given me so good a dispatch, I will return without delay, and see that all things needful be made ready. With that he took his leave and went his way, not well content in heart, for he was a great noble and well-conditioned knight, and when he saw how arrogantly, and with how little thought, that emperor spake, it grieved him to the heart to see the king his master allied with such a man, from whose company, unless by great good fortune, nothing but shame and loss of honour was to be expected. And many times he lamented, as he went along, the great loss which King Lisuarte had suffered by his own fault, in losing Amadis and all those good men of his lineage, who for the sake of Amadis had formerly been in his service, and were now become his enemies. After much toil he reached Great Britain, and told the king that the emperor was preparing to set forth with all speed. "'God grant, sir,' said he, "'that your alliance with this man may be to your honour, for as God shall help me, I am little pleased with his arrogance, and can expect nothing good from any force which hath such a leader. The king answered, Don Guillon, I rejoice at your safe return. Having you and such as you in my service, we need nothing more than the forces of the emperor, for you are well able to direct both him and me. But since he hath given you such an answer, we must take care to be so prepared that, when he arrives, he shall not think so much of his own power as he now does. So with all diligence, King Lisuarte prepared his forces, for he knew that his enemies were assembling aid from all parts, and that the Emperor of Constantinople, and the King of Bohemia, and King Perion of Gaul, and many other princes, were raising men to send to the firm island and happy he thought himself if they should not seek him in his own land. He likewise knew how King Aravigo and Barsinan, lord of Sansuena, were arming, and knew not for what purpose. At this time Brandoyas returned, and said that King Kildanan of Ireland was preparing to obey his summons, but that Don Galvanus requested he would not call upon him to act against Amadis and his nephew Agrais, but if the king would not be so content, he besought him to set him free from his homage, and take back the island of Mongaza, as had been stipulated, that so long as he held it, he should be the king's vassal, and when he chose to be so no longer, he might give up the island and remain free. The king, though his necessity was so great, yet saw that Don Galvanus spake with reason, and sent to tell him he might remain in peace, for though he could not serve him in this quarrel, there might come a time when he might make amends. Moreover, tidings soon came by Felispinel that King Gasquilan of Sweden had well received the embassy, and had promised to come, aid the king, and fight with Amadis, which he had so long desired to do. 
The king, therefore, knowing what preparations were now made, called for Giontes, and said to him, Nephew, you must needs go with all speed to the Emperor Patin, and tell him I am well pleased with what he had said to me by Don Guion, and that I am going to my court at Windsor, because it is near the port where he will land. There I shall assemble my force, and he will find me encamped, expecting his arrival. Say that I beseech him to come as speedily as possible, for if at first we can exceed our enemies in number, much of the aid which they expect will fail. Do not you, nephew, leave Rome till he comes himself, for that will hasten him. Then Lisuarte departed for Windsor, and Giontes put to sea. Chapter 24 How Grasandor, son of the King of Bohemia, met Giontes, and what passed between them. You have heard how Prince Grasandor had embarked with twenty knights for the firm island. Now it's so fortunate that he fell in by night with the ship which carried Giontes on his embassy to Rome, and gave orders to his men to bear up to her, that he might see who was on board. Giontes, having none other than mariners with him, and certain of his servants, could make no resistance, and was brought before Grasandor, who asked him who he was. He replied, a knight of King Lisuarte, going with his bidding to the Emperor of Rome. If for courtesy you will release me, that I may proceed on my way, I shall hold myself obliged, for you have neither cause nor reason to detain me. Rasandor answered, Knight, I expect soon to be against the king you speak of, in aid of Amadis of Gaul, and am therefore not bound to treat any of his people well. Yet shall I deal courteously with you, and will let you depart, provided you tell me your name, and what is your embassy to the emperor. "'It would be to my honour and to my master's service,' said Giontes, "'if I were not asked that question. But my embassy is public, and I shall do my duty in avowing it. My name is Giontes. King Lisuarte is my uncle. I go to bring the emperor and all his force as speedily as can be, to go with the king my uncle, against those who have carried away his daughter Oriana. Now if it please you, let me depart. You have spoken like a knight, replied Grasandor. I set you free, and come quickly with the force you are to bring, for you will find those whom you seek ready. Giontes then went his way, and Grasandor immediately sent one of his knights in a vessel which he brought with him to the king his father, to tell him what he had learned, and request him to observe when the emperor departed, and then without delay sent off Count Galtines with the succour, for much to their honour would it be if they should arrive the first. Grasandor then sailed on, and arrived without let or danger at the port of the firm island. When the islanders saw a ship come in, they informed Amadis, who forthwith sent to know who came in her, but when he heard it was Prince Grasandor, son to the king of Bohemia, he greatly rejoiced, and went to horse, and took with him Don Quadragante and Agrayes, and rode to welcome him. When they met, they embraced each other like true friends, and Grasandor, after their greeting, told him how he had met Giontes, and had sent to bid the succors proceed without waiting for farther summons. If all our friends, quoth Quadragante, help us with the like good will, little need we fear this danger. 
Then they rode to the castle, and Amadis took Grasandor to his apartment, and gave order that his company should be well lodged and provided, and he sent to inform all his knights of the prince's arrival that they might go welcome him. Forthwith they all repaired to the apartment of Amadis, being clad richly in the dress of war, as they were ever accustomed to be when in time of rest. And when Grasandor saw so many knights, whose fame was so spread abroad, he thought himself greatly honoured to be in their company. Now, when it was known to what end Giontes had been sent to Rome, messengers were dispatched without delay for all the succour, and because it would be tedious to relate how they all severally sped in their embassy, we will only tell you that they all arrived, and that all the succours embarked and sailed to the firm island. The good King Perion brought three thousand knights. King Tafenor of Bohemia sent one thousand five hundred knights with Count Galtines. Tantalus brought one thousand two hundred from Queen Briolania. Six hundred came with Branfil, the brother of Don Bruneo. Six hundred from Ireland with Don Quadragante's nephew, Landin. King Ladasin of Spain sent two thousand to his son Don Brian of Monjaste. Don Gandales came from Scotland with fifteen hundred for Agrias. The Emperor of Constantinople sent eight thousand with his nephew Gastiles. All these came to the firm island, but the first to arrive was King Perion, by reason that his kingdom lay the nearest. If he was well received by his sons and by all those chiefs, need not be said. By his advice it was resolved that all the forces of the island should go out and pitch their tents upon a plain that lay below the castle, which abounded with springs and was surrounded with trees, and so soon as any succors arrived they were immediately there encamped. But who can tell, when they were all assembled, what knights and horses and arms were there? Certes, you may well believe that never in memory of man were such knights and so many assembled together in behalf of any prince. But Oriana did nothing but weep and curse her ill fortune that it would occasion so great destruction, unless it pleased God, in his mercy, to provide some remedy. All those ladies who were in her company consoled her the best they could, saying that neither she nor they who served her could stand accused to God or to the world. And albeit she was loath, they made her go up to the top of the tower, from whence she could see the plain and all the people who were encamped there. And when she beheld the plain covered with people, and so many glittering arms, and so many tents, she thought all the world were up in arms. Then, while the others were all wondering at the sight, Mabilia, seeing that none could hear her, said, "'What think you? Is there another in the world who hath such a servant and friend as you?' Oriana answered, "'Ah, lady, my true friend, what shall I do? My heart cannot bear this. On one side is he who is the light of my eyes, and the consolation of my poor heart, without whom I could not live, and on the other is my father, to whom, cruel as I have found him, I cannot but feel that true love which as his child I owe him. Wretch that I am, whichever of these should perish, I must be the most unhappy woman that ever lived. And then she wept and wrung her hands. Mabilia took her hands. For God's sake, lady, desist from this, and put your trust in God. 
if evil should come, remember that wrongs like yours cannot be lightly remedied, and thank God that the sin is not yours. Oriana felt the truth of this, and was somewhat consoled. When King Perion saw all the forces encamped, he took both Grasandor and Agrayes, and said he would go visit Oriana, and he bade Amadis and Don Florestan remain with the army. When Oriana heard of the coming of the king, she was greatly pleased, for she had never seen him since he knighted the child of the sea by her request at the house of King Languines of Scotland. She assembled all her ladies to receive him. The king, when he entered her apartment, courteously saluted her, and she humbly returned the salutation. Then he addressed the queens Briolania and Sardamira, and all the other princesses and damsels. Mabilia then came forward and knelt before him, and would have kissed his hand, but he drew her toward him, and embraced her with exceeding love, and said to her, "'Dear niece, I bring many remembrances from the queen your aunt, and from your cousin Melissia, as to one whom they greatly esteem and love. Gandalin will tell you the queen's bidding, for he remains to come with Melissia, that she may keep company with this lady who so well deserves it. Then he turned to Oriana, and said, "'Good, my lady, the same reason that made me feel for your wrongs hath bound me to labour to redress them, and for this am I come hither. But do you take good heart, and put your trust in God, for he will help you and reinstate you in that greatness which your own virtue and the justness of your cause deserve.' Oriana, the while he spoke, looked earnestly at the king. His person was so goodly, and he spoke so well, that she thought in herself he well deserved to be the father of such sons, and that his great renown was but reasonable. "'Sir,' she replied, "'what requital can a poor wretched and distressed damsel like me make for what you have said? Certes, none other than what all those whose injuries you have heretofore redressed have made.' to tell you that in so doing you are serving God, and increasing the great fame which you have already won. One thing I beseech you, sir, do for me. Try every means to bring about peace with the king my father, for this will please God in saving the lives of so many as must needs perish else, and it would make me the happiest woman in the world. The king answered, Things are now in such state that this would be very difficult. But oftentimes when enmity appears to be at its extreme, peace is then procured which could never be obtained before. And be sure that if it can be, I shall with all good will procure it, both for the service of God and for your sake, as one whom I so much desire to serve. At that Oriana humbly gave him thanks, like one in whom virtue abounded more than in any other woman. While they were thus in talk, Agrayes and Grasandor conversed with Queen Briolania and Queen Sardamira, and Olinda and the other ladies, and when Grasandor saw Oriana and all her company, how excellently fair they were, above all that ever he had yet seen or heard of, so astonished was he that he knew not what to say and he could not but believe that God himself had made them with his own hand. And albeit that, except Melissia, who was not there present, there was not one who equalled the beauty of Oriana, and Queen Briolania, and Olinda. 
yet was he so pleased with the gaiety and grace and good humour of mabilia that from that hour he was never inclined so to love and serve any other woman and thus his heart was taken and the more he looked at her the greater his affection grew as is usual in such occasions he being thus disturbed like a young man who had never before been out of his father's kingdom now desired agraeus for courtesy to tell him the names of those ladies who were with oriana agraeus named them all to him and told him the greatness of their rank he then asked who mobilia was for she was talking with king perion agraeus replied she was his sister and he did not believe there was a woman in the world of better nature nor more beloved by all who knew her grasandor upon this was silent and thought in his heart assuredly what agraeus said was true and so in very deed it was for all who knew the princess mobilia loved her for her gentleness and gaiety thus as they were all conversing cheerfully in the hope to cheer oriana who could feel no joy queen briolania said to agraeus good sir and my great friend i have occasion to speak with don quadragante and don brian of monjaste before you i beseech you let them come hither before you depart immediately agraeus sent to call them and when they came the queen led them apart with agraeus and said you know from what imminent peril i was delivered by you under god and how you gave my cousin trion into my power whom i now hold prisoner i have been pondering much how to deal with him for on the one hand he is the son of abysseus my uncle who so treacherously slew my father and the seed of so bad a man ought to perish lest other like treasons spring up from it on the other hand i remember our nearness of kin and that children often differ greatly from their fathers and that this attack which he made upon me was committed like a young man whom evil counsellors had advised i have not therefore known how to determine and beseech you as persons whose prudence always knows what ought to be done to tell me your judgment to this don brian of monjaste replied my good lady your discretion hath so aptly urged all that can be said on this case that there remains nothing to advise except it be to remind you that one of the causes for which great princes are most praised and by which their persons and dominions are most secured is clemency by using which they obey the command of him whose ministers they are and to whom doing their duty they ought to refer the consequence it would be well for the deciding one of your doubts to call him here lady by speaking with him you may perhaps form some judgment of what cannot be known in his absence priolania then requested king perion not to depart till she had decided with those knights upon a point which nearly concerned her then was trion brought in he appeared before the queen with much humility yet with such a presence as well showed the great lineage of which he came trion said the queen to him whether i have cause to pardon you or amadis to execute vengeance for the wrong you have done you yourself know you also well know what your father did to mine howbeit as these things are past and as i know that you are the nearest of my blood i am moved not only to have pity upon your youth you having that sense of your fault which you ought to have but also to place you in that rank and honour 
that instead of an enemy you should become my friend and servant speak therefore before these knights what is your choice and let there come nothing from your lips but that truth which beseems one of such lineage trion who had not expected this replied lady as to what toucheth my father i am by reason of my tender years at the time acquitted for myself certain it is that by my own good will as well as the counsel of others i would have placed you in such straits and myself in such honour that i might have obtained the rank suitable to my birth but fortune as she was to my father and brethren even so hath she shown herself contrary to me there remains therefore nothing for my remedy but to acknowledge that you are the rightful inheritrix of the kingdom of our forefathers and also to acknowledge your great mercy and favour towards me that so i may by my services and your good pleasure obtain what my heart sought to gain by force the queen answered if you trion will do as you say and be my loyal vassal i will be to you not as a cousin but even as a sister and you shall receive such favour from me as shall fully satisfy your honour then trion bent his knee before her and kissed her hand and from that time forward he bore himself so loyally in all things that his authority in the kingdom was almost like her own you are free then said she and i require you to take charge of these my people who are here and to obey the orders of amadis greatly did the knights praise this action of the fair queen and greatly did they honour trion as in truth he well deserved king perion and the knights now took leave and returned to the camp they found that balays of carsante had just arrived with twenty knights of his lineage all good men and well armed to serve amadis this balays was one of those whom amadis had delivered from the cruel prison of arcalaus the enchanter and he it was who cut off the head of the damsel that had engaged amadis and galaor in fight to destroy each other and certes had it not been for this action of balays the one or both would then have died he brought tidings that king lisuarte was encamped near windsor and that by what he could hear he had about six thousand horsemen with him besides foot soldiers and that the emperor of rome had arrived with a great fleet and had landed and pitched his camp near the kings gasquilan king of sweden also had brought eight hundred good knights and king kildadan two hundred but he believed they would not advance for fifteen days because they were all weary with the voyage all this balais of carsante could well learn for he held a good castle in the lordship of queen lisuarte and it was so situated that he could with little trouble learn news of his forces early on the following morning master helisabad arrived in the haven with grasandor's succour five hundred knights and archers when amadis knew his arrival he went with angriotte and don bruneo to receive them the forces were encamped and libio the master's nephew with them as their captain they then took the master and led him to king perion and told who he was and how he had saved amadis from death after the combat with the andriago and that at this season there could not have been any person whose coming would so profit them 
the king courteously welcomed him and said good friend after the battle we must decide the question to whom amadis is most indebted to me who under god produced him from nothing or to you who from death recovered him to life the master kissed his hand and then said pleasantly let it be so sir i will not yield the advantage to you till the question has been searched then he told the king that he was certainly informed how the emperor of rome had set out with his fleet carrying ten thousand horsemen and that castillus nephew of the emperor of constantinople was now on the sea with eight thousand horsemen in aid of amadis and would he believed arrive now in three days end of book four chapter twenty four